High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Shalom, shalom, four minutes past 12 o'clock and yes, I'm now trying to pick up as much Hebrew as I possibly can. The undertaking of taking part in the Jerusalem Marathon means getting fit and speaking Hebrew. Mm, I don't know, doing my very best. Hi, how are you doing? How is your Thursday afternoon? I do hope that you are having a fabulous, fabulous day. My name's Nikki Seberini. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination on 101.9 High FM. As you know, I announced two weeks ago, I am taking part in the Jerusalem Marathon just the 10 kilometer. Yeah, just the 10 kilometer. Everyone says, Nikki, why didn't you do the five? Because they know me so well. I'm no runner. And I ask myself the same question each and every time I take to the road. Why didn't I write down the five? And is it too late to go back? I'm not sure. I'll, I'll look into it. Certainly look into it. But it's Shalom and it's Manishma and it's Tov Me'od. And if there's anything else you can add, please add. I am open to any suggestions, food to eat, words to learn. I am so excited. It is Jerusalem Marathon and it's full steam ahead. So I have to keep you updated. Because I really only started Sunday a week ago, Sunday a week before, if that makes sense. I'm not even sure if that's correct English and the studio is filled with authors. So I'm rather intimidated and, and, and just trying to ensure that I can write, read, speak properly. So when I started, um, you know, after about 20 meters, I wanted to stop. My brain said, stop, you're tired. And I had to push through that and push through that. And it was very difficult. The first two kilometers, it was walk, run, walk, run. Then my son, my 17-year-old last Friday said, you know what, mom, I'm going to run with you. And it changed everything. First of all, the pace increased. He wouldn't let me stop. He was pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And I did the 2Ks and it was such a milestone. And so I get to wake up early in the morning. And not every morning, but I get to run with my 17-year-old next to me, encouraging me, sometimes shouting at me, I have to say, um, because I can be very stubborn. But what I really wanted to say is I'm getting there. And now it's three kilometers. I'm trying to push three and a half. It's not easy, but I'm doing it one step at a time. And I said this last week, the idea that I'm running for cancer warriors, the idea that I have two people, which I will announce closer to the time who I'm running for, pushes me on. And so I am motivated and I'm inspired because tomorrow my one warrior um, is starting chemotherapy tomorrow. And who am I to complain if my legs get a little bit sore? So it's just, uh, wow, an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. And of course, I'm doing it to raise funds. I'm doing it so that the DL link gets money to continue to do what they do in the community, and that is help um, warriors and their families to hold them, to support them, to be there for them, to be an extended family. So if you would like to make a donation um, in my name, please go along to the DL Link website. Just click on Jerusalem Marathon, look for Nikki Seberini, make the donation. I am so happy to be able to be doing this. And I wanted to announce that next week we've got quite a big fundraiser. Next week's show is going to be very, very interesting. We're going to be looking at challenges and the different types of challenges 
challenges. We're looking at warriors and their physical challenges, facing emotional challenges, all the challenges, as well as some of the um, runners who are facing their own um, challenges. So it is called the Deal Link Jerusalem Marathon 60-Minute Challenge. So we have 60 minutes. We're going to try our very best to get 60 um, pledges, um, and the pledges will be made via the SMS. There will also be some spots around Joburg that you can make the pledge, and you can make a donation too. But what's really, really going to be very exciting is mental and life coach Michael Rubenstein will be on the show, and he is going to be conducting speed coaching sessions on air. So you get to hear how he takes someone through a session. We're going to hopefully overcome all sorts of challenges within the show. And what we're really trying to do is raise 60,000 Rand by the end of the day. Let's see. We've got 60 minutes trying to take 60 pledges, and by the end of the day, let's see if we can raise 60,000 Rand. And throughout the show, there are going to be prizes up for grabs. So you can win coaching sessions or art classes or kahuna massages and they're going to be many more so that is happening next thursday it is a date put it in your diary it is going to be a fantastic show the 5th of march the dear link jerusalem marathon 60 minute challenge <sighs> right so you're probably wondering why is she talking so much and why hasn't she told us what's coming up on the show? Well, I spoke about, you know, talking. The show today is about writing and using writing to heal, using writing to journal, using writing to connect with oneself and to go back in time and even lead a, leave a legacy, um, memoirs. Um, a wonderful, wonderful show. We're going to be looking at handwriting and what does your handwriting say about you. And then we're going to be looking at a book um, about the Mandela Children's Hospital and everything that has gone into that, the challenges, the stories that go with it. A fascinating show. Stay where you are. We're going to take a quick break and then it's going to be our first guest, Mushy Rose, who's going to be talking about handwriting. So don't go anywhere. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. You know, Dr. Rosemary Sassoon said handwriting is the imprint of the self on the page. How is that possible? I have good days when I'm, my handwriting is legible. I have shocking days when I cannot even read what I've written. And what does that say about me? Does it have a lot to say about my mind and the moment, the kind of person that I am? I can't answer any of those questions. But our expert um, in the studio certainly can. Mushy Rose is a graphologist. She's a handwriting analyst, a business owner. Um, and she is internationally qualified um, with her graphology, which is uh, which is a handwriting expert and and she's in the studio to talk about handwriting and and what it says about us so mushy welcome lovely having you on the show thanks so much nikki it's really a delight and an honor to be on the dear link show you know dear link is for stands for devorah Leia. yes and it's uh, very close to our hearts and we um, i really feel honored to be part of reaching more people and improving their lives and upliftment out there as this one family have gone out to do. Exactly, and continue to do. It's incredible what they've achieved and what they do and the impact that it has on so many people. It's an absolute, mm. um, it's, a, it's a wonder. It, it shows us that when a person has the will to do something, 
that you can achieve what you put your mind to. Mm, very, very true, Mashi. Yeah. Absolutely. And and especially because, you know, they, they're doing it for a soul, a special soul that came into this world. And we see, we see the results of the soul touching everybody now. Mm. And even people listening to this radio station. You know, well, Mushi, I'm running. Huge. I'm running. I mean, you heard me. Yes. I'm no runner. I'm running. It says a lot. Yes, it's awesome. Because that's what the DL link means to all of us. So lovely having you on the Thank show, you. Mushi. Thank you. How does one become a graphologist? Why would one become a graphologist? Yes, that is an interesting question. I'm not sure I know what the answer <laughs> is. You just found your way. <laughs> um, yes, it was many years ago when I heard an interview on the radio. Um, because there weren't a graphologist in South Africa, there was an Israeli guy who was brought here. He was a rabbi and a graphologist and a psychologist. And what they did was they gave him a number of handwritings to analyze of public figures who we all knew. Mm-hmm. And I was quite surprised that, you know, with the accuracy that he came up with. And I thought, well, maybe because he's a rabbi, you know, we can trust this process. But um, graphology is really brain writing. It's, it's from the brain into the fine motor coordination. So the way that you write is the way that you think. I can see, a graphologist can see how you think when they look at your writing. How you think generally or how you are thinking in the moment you put paper to pen? At that moment primarily. Okay. But it's it's really your nature because there's so many features that we look for. We look for spacing and baselines and the letter formations, the pressure, the distances. So there are a multitude of things that you really can't change overnight. Okay. Like for example, if you're somebody who likes a lot of privacy, then um, whether you, no matter what your circumstance is, you will be like that. It will reflect that. Or if you're a good team player, you'll be able to see. You'll see it. That. Yes. You'll see it. Yes. It's so interesting. Yes. I mean, I start off and I said there are days when my handwriting is wonderful. And there are days when it is so untidy. Yes, yes. I heard you, you mentioned you opened with that. Yeah. And it's very interesting because people say they've got many different handwritings, and they can have. The main purpose of writing is so that you can get your message across. It it depends how you learned at school. Different countries have a different book model. Mm -hmm. The South African book model is really one of the best ways to learn. The American has got a lot of flourishes in the writing, Uh which is unnecessary. And the German script is very pointed and very very angular, which is uh, good for developing analytical ability. But... um, the way that you write and the way that you change your handwriting, say after the age of 24, because 24 is the graphological maturity age. So after 24, we expect that our handwriting should change a little bit according to the, our personality. But if you find somebody whose writing is exactly the same, say he's 70 years old and he writes exactly like he learned when he was six or seven, then you know you are working with an extremely reliable person. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to beat at his own drum. He will really just follow instructions like you asked. That's so interesting, Mashi. And you know, Times are changing And I think especially when it comes to writing So we're looking at education We're looking at kids who are sitting with iPads Who are sitting on their smart devices Who are using computers all the time How much writing will there be in the future? I mean if it's so valuable And you can go in and you're helping companies You're helping individuals You're looking, you're able to assess You're talking about sincerity, honesty, reliability This you can see in someone's handwriting What do you see for the future? 
you know, I'm, I mean, I'm just thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about how much time they've spent writing and, and, and now with technology. Yes, that's a brilliant question. It is a concern for people who want to analyze handwriting, but because it's from the brain, it will always remain. You know, they, they have experiments where a person, for example, was writing with their right hand and then Shalom, God forbid, lost the use of that hand and then transferred to the left hand. Mm-hmm. And still they could see the same personality features coming through. Really? Yes, hmm. yes, because it is from the brain. So um, you you can look Even at though it, my left hand, I mean, I try sometimes is. because I actually like to exercise a different part of my brain. I especially do it. And when I write with my right hand, it, it looks one way. The left hand, I mean, it, 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 looks, yeah, it looks so odd. Yes. It's really they odd. They say you should try and brush your teeth every morning with your other hand mm. so they can activate a different part of right. your brain. Yes. Um, so, yes, if you don't write a lot, it definitely will impact on this. Um, and if you can't write at all, well, there's no way that we can do a test. Mm. However, um, the spacing and the features around the writing remains the, the same. same. Okay. I remember something very interesting, sitting next to someone, and um, she received a text message. And she she's a good friend of mine, so she, she said, look at this text message. It looks so interesting. Look at the beautiful spaces he left in the room. He took, you know, it took such a long time to, to space it and to write it. And I said, yeah, you know, that, a person like that could really be an architect because he appreciates the aesthetic value. And she looked at me with big eyes and she laughed. She said, yes, yes. this is a message from my architect, yeah, who's doing Amazing. changes to my home. Oh, okay, I hear you. I hear you. We're going to take a break. After the break, I want to talk about your website, which I so enjoyed, especially when you have these well-known people and you've got pictures of the handwriting and what it means. So there's Obama and there is... Um, there's Catherine, um, Princess Kat, Kate, and there is Nelson Mandela. Nelson. Yes. So we're going to go to that after the break. Stay with us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, if you have just tuned in, this is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Welcome. We're talking about writing, the power of writing, um, the wonders of writing. And at the moment, we're talking very specifically about handwriting and what it says about you, a direct connection to the brain, the way we write. Uh, Mushy Rose is in the studio and she is a graphologist, a handwriting analyst. Mushy, on your website, so as I said, I came across these these famous people, yes. a picture of their handwriting, and there was Nelson Mandela. And there was a picture of his handwriting, and this is what you wrote down. Open to new ideas, highly intelligent, sharp and fast thinking, high self-esteem, optimistic, slightly argumentative. What is it in his writing that gave all of that away? <laughs> what gave all of that away are the letter formations and his baseline. What do you mean by baseline? Um, the the line that you write on, you know, mm-hmm. for example, you get a line to write, right. and then in school you stick to your line. Mm-hmm. Now, when a graphologist looks at your writing, they will ask you to write on unlined paper so that you can establish your own baseline, uh-huh. and then they'll analyze your baseline. It could be a mood thing for the day, like, like you mentioned, some days you want to write nicely and other days... Not so much. Mm-hmm. 
Some days you're optimistic, other days a person doesn't feel optimistic. When a person is depressed, for example, you'll see that your baseline goes down. Oh. Instead of it reaching upwards, it goes down. Hmm. Um, people who are um, very depressed, they often their baseline goes down, and then you can see it clearly in the last word of the line. It really conks down. So what I would suggest is on a day when a person's feeling a bit down in the dumps, to raise your baseline, to make sure that you're right with your baseline picking up. And then because those happy thoughts wash over your mind continuously, this is a positive feature for you to do and to incorporate into your writing and into your personality. And then in a few hours' time, you'll say, hey, you know, my, my mood has lifted. Could it be? No, it's probably just my thoughts that are positive. And it is your po- your thoughts are positive. It's a stimulus to get you going. So you're saying that if you're writing without a line and it goes down a little bit, it could be indicative that you're feeling depressed. Yes. And that if you very consciously change the way you write, so you write so that it's the letters are going up, the words are going up as opposed to down, it will impact the brain. 100%. That is amazing. 100%. That is unbelievable. There's a reason to get off technology and go back to pen and paper and clear, no-lined paper, and write. And I'm sure that Lana, our next guest, will talk about also just expressing. So Lana's going to be talking about the words. You're talking about the the handwriting. What else can you do with handwriting that can shift and alter a mind state or a mindset? Um, The other thing you can do that is very powerful Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when people write, again, it's on unlined paper, when people write and you find that one line sort of tangles into the next lower line. The one underneath, yes. yes, yes. Say the G, the loop of the G goes down very far down into the next line mm-hmm. or the H goes up into the next line. It's a lot of entanglement. The lines aren't clear. Mm-hmm. For example, the person isn't writing with a nice, say, Five centimeter, ten centimeter space in between. That is how you should write. That's the optimum writing. Say a person is writing and everything is jumbled and tangled. Yes. They have just written something down there. So you talk, so my H's, my P's, so that's how I would normally write it down. Yes. So that is, that is great. That is indicative of somebody who's good under pressure. And he's polite and well-mannered and someone with... <laughs> Did you yeah, hear that? I hope my mother's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good business acumen. But so if a person jumbles up their writing mm-hmm. and it's not spaced out well, they lose that objectivity, especially when they're in pressured situations. Mm-hmm. Their objectivity goes out the window and they become uh, jumble-minded. Right. Their thoughts are all jumbled up. Okay. So what it does is... When, on days when you can't see the wood for the trees, you, you pick up your baseline, right. meaning you put in that positive rising baseline, please, mm-hmm. and you leave nice wide spaces in between. And that is the way a person should always write. That this is, is an executive kind of writing. Okay. That's an executive kind of writing. I remember once speaking to somebody, she, I didn't know who she was, and she was on the phone and she said, you know, I'll send you my writing, but I really don't write a lot on a page. I write very little on a page. How many pages do you need? So I said, so are you an executive? And she said, yes, I'm so-and-so of so-and-so. And And I said, yeah, well, you know, that's executive writing. You just write no jumbled thoughts, 
no mixtures, nothing. It's clear, crystal clear. Hmm. I love this idea that that you can consciously sit down, write in a certain way, and that can alter your mind state. Because we know that with brains are all, our messages are going from the brain to the body, from the body to the brain, and it's impacting definitely. There's a lot of research out there about the messages going to the brain and how it can change mood. So I, I, I love. Let me let me give you another piece of paper. Hang on, Mashi, go turn right on the back of that because that's not a. There we go. Let's try this. Mashi's writing something down But going back to Nelson Mandela you, So you're talking about the baseline Which tells you And you're talking about the letter formation So yes. let's go into letter formation Okay um, Letter formations uh, I said that he enjoys a good chat Did I say that on my uh, uh, Open to new ideas Highly intelligent, sharp and fast thinking High self-esteem, optimistic, slightly argumentative I could have left one or two things out Okay, so um, the way graphology really works Is uh, that you need a cluster of signs You need to look at, say, five different features And put them together And they will give you an answer to something So you can't really go out on a limb and talk about one word that you see. Although I sometimes do that when I'm under pressure and people are insisting. <laughs> but then it's just for fun, you know. It's mm. a party trick. Mm-hmm. But otherwise I need an entire page All at right. least. Okay. So um, with this, an example would be um, that his H, the loop in the H is open. So he's open-minded and open to new ideas. And the tummy of the H has got a sharpness, which shows analytical ability. If it's round, and some people have both thinking processes, if it's round, it's cumulative, and a person is able to build on ideas and has got a good memory. Um, Nelson Mandela also had an O that was slightly open, which is indicative of somebody who enjoys a good chat. So... um you know, if you were his buddy, I'm sure that you could be privy to some really nice, juicy information. Mm. Yes, there are about six or eight different kinds of O's, and uh, they're very reflective of how the person thinks. Usually you find a combination. Oh, wow, wow, wow. I love this. I love that our writing says so much about us. So we're going to have to end off, but someone sent me a signature. They said, this is my father's signature. Have a look at this. And I'm showing it to you as we speak. And it's just, I looked, I took one look at that. I'm showing everybody in the studio and I thought, wow, it looks like there's a big story in that signature. Yes, I think there is a big story in that signature. Um, it's difficult to, to make it out. I know, because it's just a signature. signature. Yes, as you say, the signature is the public image. It's the way you want the world to see you as opposed to the way that you write. There's uh-huh. often a discrepancy. Like okay. if you look at Trump's signature, his signature is a bit like your friend's. Dad's signature Uh But Trump's is much harsher Mm -hmm. So he will eat you up for breakfast Mm -hmm. Whereas your friend's uh, father might not But the actual writing of Trump is, Is completely different Mashi, this is really, really interesting. Oh, if so people want to find out more, they can go to your website, which is www.therightway.com Fantastic. Or uh, gmail.com and my number is 083-234-9893. Lovely. Mushy, thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, such a joy. So interesting. I love that we can shift our mood. 
if yeah. we change yeah. very consciously the way we write. Beautiful. Mushy Rose, thank You're you welcome. so much for You're joining welcome. us. Thanks for asking me. Lovely, lovely. So Thanks, we, we're talking about the, you know, the, when, when I spoke about handwriting. So what Dr. Rosemary Sassoon said was absolutely right. Handwriting is an imprint of the self on the page as well as the words that you use and the way you use your words. And that's what we're going to be moving to as well because Another beautiful quote by Abraham Lincoln, and he said that the written word may be man's greatest invention. It allows us to converse with the dead, the absent and the unborn. And so our next guest, she is no stranger to the show. It is always such a pleasure to have Lana Jacobson on the show. Um, Lana often talks about her experience with the DL Link, her wonderful relationship with the DL Link, but she's also a multi-award winning writer. She's a publisher, she's an author, and she has the writer's studio, and she helps people with writing memoirs and books, and, and, uh, and that's what she does with the DL Link as well. So Lana, Welcome once again. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you. Lovely to have you on the show, Lana. Lovely to hear you're going to be running. I know. I hope you'll be back in the studio the next week. Please, God, I'll be back. (laughs) It's exhausting, but we're doing it. We're doing it, and and I'm very pleased about doing it. Well done. So, Lance, first of all, we're going to just talk about... The journey. We're going to get to the memoirs, but we're going to be talking about the importance of journaling. You yourself, with your journey with cancer, what you've endured, what you continue to endure, and you then work with DR Link Warriors. What What is the purpose of journaling? How you know, would that be valuable? You know, um, that uh, Mount Sinai uh, Cancer Support Group uh, did an experiment. They took. Um, 200 people with uh, uh, cancer and they made them write for four days for 15 minutes a day and then they took another group the same amount without writing and the blood had changed in the group that had done the writing it is so empowering um, especially for people who are ill and for cancer patients because it's a way of hearing your voice and empowering yourself and knowing what you are thinking. And, you know, a lot of times, in fact, most times, when people have finished their chemotherapy, they're supposed to go back to normal and be fantastic, and they're not because it's such a traumatic experience that you actually are so traumatized you can't get over it. Mm. And if you are writing, you are healing yourself all the time, and you're getting clarity of thought of what you're thinking, and you're giving yourself trauma counseling, and you actually, it's your voice. And when you write, and if you write with pronouns, I, my, mine, you heal yourself, you empower yourself, and you can use that as part of a memoir if you want to carry on. But it is very, very therapeutic, um, writing, journaling, journaling, and, and yeah. So, so when you go through this, as you say, with the chemotherapy, you're talking about what you're going through. I think there are lots of people who don't want to talk about it, who are afraid that if they voice it, if they write it down, it gives it life. That those fears can maybe turn into a reality or they don't want to face it. Also, for those who find it difficult to allow that inner voice to come out, what do you say to them? In other words, Lana, how do you get people to... Go within and, and allow the thought, the feeling to pour onto the paper. You just give a piece of paper and a pen and you can do expressive uh, journaling where you just give a word 
and you say, um, suddenly it changed. And they can go on. Suddenly you change, I can, and they'll just go on writing, okay. and they won't know what's in their subconscious. Uh-huh. But um, I don't. I haven't met anybody who hasn't. If you give them a piece of paper and a pen, and you say doodle with that, and just write whatever you think, they will start writing they'll there write. what they think. Mm. And you know that um, some neurologists did some research, and there are over seventy thousand thoughts a day in everybody's head. Now, a cancer patient's got 170,000 in, and they are so traumatized. And the ones that don't want to admit that they were, who don't want to voice it, are the ones that are most traumatized that would end up writing the most in a journal. Mm. Um, and it, it's just a very, very good companion for a person. And they heal better. Well, they took the bloods of the 200 patients for four, 15 minutes for four days only and their bloods changed and that is remarkable Mount Sinai cancer support so it's you know I find that as fascinating as the handwriting changing the handwriting and it changes the feeling the emotion it's very all of this is very powerful so for people who are listening um where do they get to do it? I mean, they may not, maybe it's difficult to do it on their own. Do you run workshops? Does the deal link to regular workshops? How does it work? I run courses and I do workshops. Um, but uh, to keep a journal next to your bed, you it's don't easy. need it. But uh-huh. I do do, I do memoirs and um, people write memoirs through me and I've written a few books myself. Um, and if they need to write their memoir of it, because a memoir is just a space of time in your life. It's not a biography or an autobiography where it's got to be historical and uh, chronological, every detail after each other. It's more your feelings. And so it's your own expression, and it can be one section of your life, and from that... You expand. So they'll start writing about the, the journey with cancer and how they healed now. And they'll bring in other parts of it. And they will have something for their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. Mm, mm. So, mm. And people say, I don't write. I'm not a good writer. Uh, I haven't found anybody haven't yet found. Who, who said they can't write. And then they... It doesn't it's matter. Oh, you don't. Nobody needs to see your writing if you do it on your own, next to your bed, as a journal and as a companion for your trauma with cancer. Mm-hmm. So you, you, even if you can't spell, it doesn't matter. You don't need. No one needs to read it. But I haven't found anybody. If you put a piece of paper, then they'll start drawing, and then they'll. I feel lousy, and then <laughs> you know, um. and uh, I must ask the doctor about this and that, and they. Empowering and putting words into their own They are doing their own healing Because they're using their own words Hmm. And their wisdom and their wisdom. Do you, um, do you, do, are more and more people that you're interacting with writing memoirs? Are you finding? It's become very, very fashionable in literature as well. Right. Um, memoir writing, uh, people want life stories and families want life stories and people down that haven't left their life story. Mm. And, um, it's, it's also entertaining because memoirs are your opinions often. They don't have to be factual. Like if you're writing an autobiography or a biography where it's, on this date, I did this and this, that, I did that. So you can start from anywhere and build a story around it. And it's mm. quicker than writing a biography and autobiography. Mm. And um, 
It's literature, yes. My father's written a memoir, and I've got to tell you, I have so enjoyed reading it because I get to experience him as a little boy. That's um, quite good. All of those stories, and so I've seen it as a gift. I, I know he wrote gift. one, yes. yes. I haven't read his yet, but that is... It's just a gift, really, mm, to uh, have that. And, uh, you know, so many people... I don't know anything about my grandmother and my great-grandmother or something, and it could have just been... In a memoir about the woman in our family, for example, just an excerpt so that, you know, it tells you history and it tells, gives you meaning of your ancestors as well. Mm, it's mm. a, it's a wonderful thing to do. Mm. Years ago when my son had a bar mitzvah and we were twinning, um, mm. with a young boy who died in the Holocaust and I got in touch with the family and mm. the lady lived in South Africa. It's a long story. And her daughter allowed me to read her memoir. And so it was a Jewish family living, um, on Rhodes Island. What an extraordinary read. What to, to go into this family, to go into her mind, to experience her world the way she did. It was, it was, you see, as and I you say, started a gift. there with her experience, not with, and I was born on this date. Yes, it wasn't historical. Was you actually experience. got into her story, uh, the interesting part, and from that comes like a whole pattern around it. Mm. So we we've got in the studio someone whose whose brother actually wrote a memoir and left this gift for for the family to read and experience and that of course is um, Carmen Emmanuel who who is she's on the board with the DL Link um, I know that she's working with you um, Lance working on a on a on a book at the moment but after the show after the break we're going to talk to Carmen about her brother and the memoir that he wrote. And that he left for the family. So stay with us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Lana Jacobson is in the studio. She's a multi-award winning writer, publisher and author. And um, we're talking about, uh, the, the, the healing of journaling. We're talking about memoirs. And just before the break, I said that Carmen Emanuel was in the studio. Carmen, welcome. Great to have you again on the show. Um, Carmen, your brother wrote a memoir. Tell us a little bit more um, yes, about thank that. Thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, he didn't really write a, a memoir. What happened was DLink actually gave him a book, which we used to give to all the the DLink warriors. We used to, as part of our welcome pack, we used to give them a book that they could journal in. It was just a, an a empty book, and um, it motivated him to start writing his thoughts down. And he wrote thoughts about all kinds of things. I've never read it. It was left for his children. But it was a great comfort because he could just write down what he, the messages that he wanted to leave. He knew he was terminal and in the last few months of his life, he just wrote down his own thoughts and his own, um, things that he wanted to pass on to his children that would stay with them, um, because their mother had also passed away years before. And so he felt that this was a good way. And he also wrote what he wanted to have for his funeral. He organized his own, own funeral because they were still quite young. They were in their teenage years. And he didn't want the burden of all of that. And he said, you know, he wants, he'd had um, a lot of good experiences at hospice where he'd gone for blood transfusion and um, just for a few days of respite. And he felt that he wanted to donate all his things to um, hospice. So he'd written that in the book. And then at least after the, the Shiva period, 
the family was able to pack up his things and send it to hospice, knowing that that's what he wanted. So it was a big comfort to everybody, to, and it was uh, quite um, healing that you were doing what he wanted. You know, that, that they were able to know that this is where he wanted to be married, this is what he wanted, and everything was done according to his wishes hmm. to honor him. And he wrote a lot of things. Um, he left it to his children. I never asked to read it, so I've never read it. But he did say to me how wonderful it was and what a comfort it was. And um, I never, just being part of Dear Link, I never really thought about um, how powerful it was. But then subsequently I saw other patients, a man who had his leg amputated because of um, his uh, uh, diabetes. And so he was bedridden for many, many, many months and in and out of hospital. And he had cancer. And I brought him this um, the book to write. And he also said, I'm not a writer and whatever. Mm-hmm. But he did write. And he, he eventually, you know, over time he said, it's actually just lying here in the hospital bed. It's given me so much comfort and so much um just a feeling of peace. It, he was writing for himself. He wasn't writing for anybody. Mm. But um, it gave him a way of expressing his thoughts and ideas, and um, it was a comfort to him. And so, going beyond the confines of the hospital bed right, and the pain so transported and all him that. out of the hospital bed. And then, you know, like dealing patients, we often see that there's a lot of trauma in the family. Um, uh, people don't speak to each other. The mother doesn't speak to the daughter. Daughter doesn't speak to the mother. Or people are on their own without any family here. And so sometimes they don't have anyone to talk to or the people around them don't understand because you always hear that, you know, you, that's why we have support groups at DLink because somebody else will understand you've got chemo brain. You, your, your food doesn't taste nice. You've got a, a met, metallic taste in your mouth. All those things. And helping helps people to just get over that and maybe even heal some of those relationships that mm-hmm. have been broken mm-hmm. um, so that people can have a um, comfort towards the end of their life. Mm-hmm. Because so often people have a change in mindset um, when they're getting to that stage of their life. They com- somebody who might have been argumentative before becomes more, sed- uh, sed- you know, more sedentary and they're more approachable and people are willing to make connections and heal those wounds. Mm. So that's a big thing. And I just think about your brother knowing that he was terminally ill, right. being able to talk about death, being able to write about death, to write his about funeral, not, he not being able to have those conversations with his teenage um, children, but being able to express it. Yeah. You know? It's very, very, very Very therapeutic. And I've watched Um. Lana's workshops. I've been to quite a few of Lana's workshops. And everybody that sat around the table, she was giving them a word or something. And by the end of it, everybody's crying because they've um, poured their hearts out. In half an hour, she says, right, write this. And in half an hour, it's... um, People have poured their hearts out and they're all crying. And Lana's starting some new workshops. Uh, I suggest anybody just join up as soon as you can because spaces are very limited. Must they contact the DL link and they can do that? No, they must contact Lana. Lana She's doing it in a personal capacity. Lana, you've obviously used this kind of writing for your own healing. No, um, I've been writing for so long that um, it's part of who you are. That I, uh, I don't, I, I can't not write. So mm. I don't know, you mm. know. I use it through stories of other people. Through, you know, I've written about every single thing. So, mm. you, you're writing. You're helping Common write a book right now. 
sorry. You're yes. helping Carmen oh, write a yes, book? Oh, yes, Carmen's writing a, 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 a different kind of book. Tell them, Carmen. It's very interesting. It's another <laughs> I'm, problem. I'm, I'm writing a book um, for parents, for therapists, um, and for teachers um, on all the... Uh, Basically, all the children on the spectrum, ADHD, ADD, um, anything like that, and um, also touching things like sleep. And it's basically a GPS for parenting to tell them where they can go. So it's a case history of, of these children that I've taught along the way or um, – I also do teacher training that I've also worked with teachers and it's got a case history for each thing. So it's not a book on dyslexia. It'll just have a case history of dyslexia. It's just a short Pinterest diagram that you can actually see if your child fits the, the picture and then, um, and then, um, where to go. All, all blogs and vlogs and books and just to point you in the right direction. So it's really oh. like a GPS. Where can you go when you have a problem? Because that's the biggest problem is that even if you've had an assessment, even if you've gone to specialists, so often the parents will phone me and say, I don't know what to do. Mm. Or the teacher will say, your child's got a problem. Now, now what, what? Yeah. The, Where's the book? When is it going to be? Are you in the, still writing? We're still writing. Okay. Yes. The two of you. Well, hurry up, hurry up, hurry <laughs> she's, up. She's, just, she's gone very far already, actually. Okay. Yeah. We're nearing well, the end. We're, we're, looking, we're looking, looking for forward. a publisher. Okay, say no more. Anyone out there? So, Lance, for people, we're going to say goodbye for people who would like to come to your workshops mm-hmm. into the wonderful world of writing. <coughs> how? Where? How did they get hold of you? Um, I'll, I'll leave my details with you in the studio if you tell like. us now have you got this can they contact you via the website or an email my, address? my website is www.writerstudio with one s mm-hmm. one word dot uh, studio.co.za and um, my email is lana at writerstudio.co.za wonderful and my phone number is 082-465-33 Oh, one. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you for Sounds having amazing. Me. Um, Carmen, thank you thank for you coming so onto much. the show. Quick break. I have to cough. And then after that, we're going to be looking at Mandela's Children, A Dream Realized, a fantastic book that's just been written. Stay with us. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Chai FM, thank you for staying with us. Um, we're now going to be talking, oh, what, how interesting, um, looking at handwriting, looking at the power of journaling, memoirs, um, just the ability to put one's thoughts on paper and the healing that goes with it. Um, and we, we, we were talking about Nelson Mandela's handwriting um, and how much she had analyzed her handwriting. So it's so interesting, and I love the synchronicity that we're talking about a book called A Dream. Realize the challenges and triumphs of building a Mandela legacy. Um, and we have the author in the studio, Ulrika Hill, um, and we have Aya Pora, who is doing the marketing. Guys, welcome. Lovely to have you both on the show. And uh, so, so let's just talk about this book, A Dream Realize the Challenges and Triumphs of Building a Mandela Legacy. W- what is this book all about, Ulrika? How long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, in a nutshell, it's really about an amazing achievement and um, looking at how 
we address pediatric care, but from a child's perspective. And what does that mean from a child's perspective? I was hoping you weren't going <laughs> to. I was getting into it. I was really enjoying it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. From a child's perspective. So, you know, and obviously we're talking about chronic illnesses and it was very fascinating listening to your former guests. And the whole thing when a child is really ill, you know, they're not always that pleasant to be around, mm-hmm. obviously. And it's taking the child's psych- psychology and their physiology, that was taking that into account and building a hospital that would talk to the child. Okay? Mm. And that, in fact, we did bookmarks, if um, I remember, and we said, look at the world through a child's eyes. And this is exactly what has happened in the hospital, that the hospital was created with input from the children and themselves, and that will go, I'm sure, later um, on. But it's really about children coming into a caring, nurturing space to be healed. And it's not just healing the body. It's healing holistically. So everyone working in the hospital will work from a holistic point of view. Um, so in other words, they're saying it's not just a body or a, a, a sick Something there. Mm. It's a child. Mm. It's a child with fears and a mm. child that's connected to a family. History and everything Correct. that goes with Absolutely. it. Okay. So that's amazing. So it's linked directly to the hospital. Um, and let's talk about this hospital. Um, I mean, I think there's, it's the only one in Africa that's just dedicated, no? To it's, it's the second dedicated the second facility for, for children, uh-huh. which is why it was so important for, for it to be realized, really. Because the only other dedicated facility that we had at that point was Red Cross in, in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's, they are the only two dedicated facilities in the Southern Africa region, which really highlights the, the need. And if you compare that to developed countries in the United States, for instance, there are over a hundred mm. children's hospitals. Mm. And then you think about our, our whole region and there are only two. And it's just insane mm. to think that that's the sort of attention we're giving to the health of our children. So where is the hospital? It's in Parktown here in Johannesburg. Okay. Um, and it was quite critical for it to, to be built there as well, because as mentioned, you have the hospital in Cape Town that's sort of serving the regions around there but now suddenly you then have that facility that's able to take patients from the northwest, Mpumalanga um, Gauteng itself Limpopo and so forth and those patients then who might be coming from, from the Southern Africa region so a lot of thought went into again where this hospital would need to be built in order for it to then serve the health ecosystem efficiently. I hear you mm. so Ulrika, the, the book you're adding the story to, okay. to, the, to the hospital yeah. so it's, it's not just young children coming in and out you're talking about each one comes with a story and so you have written a book um, really narrating, almost giving a face and a picture and a story to what this hospital represents. Absolutely. Um, I think that one of the things we often forget in society and in business or any aspect of society is that it's not a building. Um, there are people in the building. So for me, it wasn't about... The building, the building represented a whole group of people with different skills, different walks of life who came together and created this facility. So looking from where it's situated, which incidentally is on um, 
the education campus. So it's just down the road from Charlotte McQuake. Charlotte McQuake, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. He, Thank you. I, I just can't do the click. Yeah, he does yeah. it well. And um, so it's just down the road there. And so from every step, because it, it took quite a long time before the hospital could be built. So there are lots and lots of stories. And what I love as a storyteller, that there were a lot of challenges. You know, we want those challenges. We want to see those in a story. Because when you can actually see the visualization of it, you see the proof of it, you think, wow, maybe I can do it as well. Because mm. let us just take into account now, I mean, if you look at Red Cross, it wasn't built from a local perspective, mm. okay? But it's done, I mean... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a hospital that was built in 1946. So we're talking about a hospital that's been going for a long, long time. But I mean, it needed, how do I say this? It needed some extra, we needed modernizing. Extra yeah. no, this is no, not modernizing. No, not. Yeah, I Could think that's what I'm trying to say is that this is built from a completely, um, uh, African perspective. So in other words, big windows, gardens, um, lots of heating places, lots of light. So that's what I was trying to get at. I'm not actually saying that there's anything wrong with Red Cross. I'm no, just saying no. that this hospital is a new version of that. And incidentally, there was a lot of work between the two hospitals as well. And, Excuse me. And it, it had to be that that mm. way because we're pulling from different sectors of society, really, mm. to sort of figure out again, like Rick was saying, the psychology of the child mm. and what that entails and how the environment then needs to speak to that, mm. which is why quite essentially, for instance, we also have accommodation available at the hospital for those families who are traveling from afar because we understand that it's crucial for a child to be close to their parent. And right. if you're traveling from Limpopo, and you've probably gone through two local hospitals in order to get to this referral specialist facility. You need a place for you to be housed. And because they'd primarily serve the public, again, these are people who must probably, when they get to Johannesburg, would not be able to afford to pay for accommodation when sure, they're here. Sure. So we have to <clears throat> sort of take cognizance of all those factors. And then the environment then has to accommodate all of them. Hmm. And so this is the Nelson Mandela. What a legacy, the yes. Children's Hospital. His lasting and wish. His lo oh, it's just amazing. Yes. He gave a mandate to the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund in 2005 to start looking into pediatric health care. And, I mean, again, this is, again, after seeing a child in hospital. So these real stories that are, again, illustrated in the book, who was across adults in, in an adult hospital, if you like. And you can imagine how traumatic that'd be. And in his mind, he said that this can't be right. You can't have a child sitting across from another adult mm. and seeing all of that. Mm. So that's why, and we get this a lot, why Children's Hospital is because it has to take into account that children have their own special needs and they need to then heal within an environment that's conducive to that. Well, I love that one of the chapters, the title is Children Are Not Little Adults. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love so that each one. Chapter yeah. So each chapter is a story, Ulrika. Um, you know, I think from a writing perspective, it was quite difficult. And I had to make sure that each, and there was a flow. Okay, so there are lots of stories that create bigger stories around ah, it. Yeah, so, okay. And it's about it's the a journey involved. reading this. Absolutely. It's like it is a journey. journey. Yeah. How do people get their hands on this extraordinary book? 
da, 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 da. <laughs> I was here for a reason. <laughs> Made retailers. So it's available at exclusive, exclusive books. books. Uh-huh. You can order it on Amazon. But also if you want to learn more about the hospital and to also order the book and read an excerpt of, of the book, you can go onto our website. So the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital.org. Amazing. I mean, just the cover. It's so colorful. It's beautiful. And with these extraordinary stories inside, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing, telling us about this holiday, this hospital. As you say, Nelson Mandela's dream. This is his lasting legacy. You must come and visit us. I'd love yes. to come and visit. I really, really would. Um, Aya Poro Urika Hill, thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming onto the show. It's been really, really lovely. And thank you for listening. Are you in the mood? Get a pen. Write something down. Write a story, share your feelings. It's healing, it's invigorating, it's wonderful. I've learned so much from me, Nikki Seberini. Until next week, do take care. Goodbye.